It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. Hey everybody, welcome into another Pipeline Podcast. Tim McMaster here along with MLB Pipeline's Jonathan Mayo and Jim Callis. A lot to get to on the podcast this week. Jim has come out with the latest mock draft as we get closer and closer to early June in the Major League Baseball draft. And Jonathan's already working on the next one. So we'll get into that kind of stuff. We're also going to talk about Jonathan's recent journeys to minor league ballparks where he's caught up with Vlad Guerrero Jr. and Bo Bichette. But before we get to those topics, we're excited to be joined by Cole Wynn, senior pitcher at Orange Lutheran High School out there in Southern California. Uh, Cole ranks highly on those mock drafts, and we're excited to have him. Cole, thanks for joining us, man. Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me. All right, Cole. So, obviously, um, last year when you were a junior, you weren't pitching in Southern California. You were in Colorado where you had a great season. Uh, you transferred to, to California to a, a powerhouse in Orange Lutheran. I mean, that's a great program out there. Um, if you could just start by comparing what it's been like. You pitched in the National High School Invitational this spring and obviously the regular competition down there in Southern California. How different has it been versus last year out in Colorado? Oh, it's been extremely different. Um, the way I explain it to everyone is, like, in Colorado, every once in a while you'd face a, a lineup with two or three Division One commits, and here you're facing one through nine as D1 commits. So it's definitely a little bit better competition, and just, like, the atmosphere is so much better out here. Cole, obviously, you know, uh, one of the things I'm sure that you, you were hoping to accomplish was to be able to show uh, – how you could fare against that competition. How has it gone? I mean, have you, you know, performed even better than you may have hoped? I mean, obviously you have confidence in your abilities, but, you know, outside of summer showcase stuff, this is your first time facing that kind of competition uh, regularly. So I, I, I guess basically looking back at it, it, it looks like things have worked out the way, you know, or maybe even better than you could have imagined. Yeah, definitely. I think, even better than I could imagine, my parents could have imagined. I think, uh, obviously, I have the confidence in myself to go out there and, and try and do the exact same thing I did last year in Colorado, and I felt like I did that and a little bit more out here, and I think it showed a little bit more against the, the better competition. Uh, I felt like I had to pitch a little bit more, and uh, that probably raised my intensity and competitiveness, and probably that helped me out a, a little bit more than anything. Cole, I remember seeing you last summer at the Under Armour game where you, you made quick work. I think it was in the middle, one of the middle innings. And I remember you, you had a couple strikeouts, I think, on curveballs and made Tristan Cassis look pretty silly when a ball kind of bent back over the plate. And talking to scouts this spring, they talk about how, I guess, are you throwing both a curveball and a slider now? Why did you decide to, to pick up a, a second breaking ball when, when the first one was so effective? Um, I actually changed uh, my curveball grip. I'm throwing a spike curve now, and... Uh, I started. I've always kind of had a slider, but I didn't really throw it over the summer because it was more, it was more loose and it it didn't have that high velocity, so it was an easy pitch to hit. So I felt like out here, um, I didn't have incredibly good command of my changeup, so I felt like having a third breaking ball would would definitely pay off out here. And uh, 
I just worked all off season on getting that slider to where I wanted it to be velo wise and uh, movement wise, and I think I got to that point, and it's really helped me out this spring. Uh, Cole, Tim mentioned the the National High School Invitational, and while we didn't broadcast uh, that start uh, of yours, I got to watch a, a good amount of it. How much fun was it pitching uh, in that kind of setting? You know, in a, in a team atmosphere, and how much did that really kind of just get the ball rolling for for you and for for your Orange Lutheran team? Knowing that last year, you know, they won the whole thing and then kind of struggled when they when they got back home. Yeah, uh, it was definitely huge. We we definitely had a, a pretty big par- target on our backs this, coming back this year, and uh, I felt like just that first game, the dugout really carried our team to put up those nine runs, and it really helped us out a lot. Then I think just having that game be our first game and had us getting rolling, uh, I felt like it, it couldn't have gone any better. Um, just for us, like I think the biggest key was having our dugout be incredibly loud and in that game, and I think that's what really carried us through the entire tournament, and I think that's what carried us when we got back. We, we kept the same intensity, and it's just been an incredible experience. Tim mentioned mock drafts at the uh, beginning of our conversation. How much, as a guy who's going to go in the first round somewhere, do you pay attention to mock drafts and what's being written about you? I mean, it's, it's been an awful lot recently, a lot of talk about how you keep climbing draft boards. Do you, do you pay attention to that, or do you try to avoid it? I mean, it's really hard not to pay attention to that. I mean, I don't, I don't try and buy too much into that because ultimately I still need to go out there and perform the way like the the writings say about me, but... Um, I'd say definitely I'd pay a little bit of attention to it, but it's not the end-all, be-all, because I know that um, what happens June 4th is probably not even close to what's going to happen in the mock draft, and uh, I think it's just an exciting experience to go through. Um, obviously, it's it's really awesome having uh, my, my name be in that mock draft and having it be written up a, a lot, but um, I think it's just overall it, it, it keeps me humble, too, to where I know that I have to go out and perform because uh, baseball is a pretty humbling game, and if you get your head too high, then you can get knocked down pretty fast. So I think that's something my parents and I have instilled in me that just always keep a level head. I think you just summed up what a fool's errand it is for those of us that do those mock drafts cold, by the way, by saying, like, ah, you know what, I look at them, but I, I know that's not what it's going to end up looking like. So thank you for keeping us humble. Um, <laughs> I uh, I wanted to just ask you know because uh, obviously you know, high school pitching is always the, you know one of the toughest things to sort of figure out who's going to go where and uh, you got to know I'm sure a lot of the, you know a lot of the guys in your draft class from from the summer showcase stuff and uh, other things you you've done outside of you know your team how much do you keep in contact with some of the other uh, you know top high school arms that you saw over the summer who are who are going through the same senior season draft season process that you are. Yeah, um, I keep in contact with a few of them. Uh, more so, like, the people that are out in California, like Chandler Champlain and, like, Cam Ojeda, like, those guys have been keeping close with since they're just out here, and they, they've helped me. Like, it, it's been an easy transition knowing them. And I keep in contact with a few of the guys. Um, but I think it was just really awesome to meet everyone and put names with faces that you've been seeing all throughout growing up. And, uh, yeah, it's just been awesome. Cole, I always like to ask uh, players to kind of play scout a little bit. You've played either against or with a lot of the top high school players in the country. Taking yourself out of the equation, if you were drafting for a team and you could pick any high school hitter or pitcher in this draft, 
Who who would you pick? Who would be your top high school draft pick? Um, the top high school draft pick for me would be just Matt Libertor. Just from what I saw at the forty man trials, that he was just an extreme competitor, and he was just really fun to watch. His, his motion looks really fluid, and obviously being lefty helps a lot. And he was just he's a pretty cool guy to be around, and he's just a, a good person. Like the competitiveness, I felt like for me, really carried a long way with him. Um, and that's why ultimately I'd, I'd take him as my first overall. Yeah, and Libertor, another guy that had a great start down there in Cary, North Carolina at the National High School Invitational as well. Well, Cole, uh, good luck in the California playoffs. Uh, we know how competitive it is out there, so good luck to you and your Orange Lutheran teammates, and thanks for joining us here on the podcast. All right, perfect. Thank you guys for having me. Thanks, All Cole. Right. All right, thank you. All right, that was Cole Wynn, who, speaking of mock drafts, which we'll get to in a minute, uh, Jim, you have him at number 11 on the newest mock draft that's out going to the Baltimore Orioles. So uh, we will get more into that in a second. But, man, you guys say it all the time, but but it continues to amaze me, um, Jonathan, these high school kids that we have on the podcast, and they, they talk like they're in the ma- they've been Major League veterans for like 10 seasons. Yeah, I like I, – I don't – know if it's just because they're so much more aware they're you know they're getting more practice because of these you know national showcases and there's more media around uh they're they take like media broadcasting classes in in high school uh but it seems few and far between now when we get a high schooler who gives you that like two or three word answer um which is what i which was more of the norm, I feel, not that long ago. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, his his ability to uh, to give thoughtful responses, I mean, I think it speaks to how he performs on the mound. I mean, he's, he's a tremendous competitor. I mean, we saw it at the NHSI. Um, and, you know, this is a, this is a kid who clearly – uh, is smart on the mound as well and is learning to use his stuff even better, adding that slider back in, to, you know, changing the grip on his curveball um, and stepped right into that ultra-competitive Southern California without missing a beat. I think that all speaks to, you know, what's going on between his ears as well as what he can do with his right arm. Yeah, and he praised his teammates for setting the tone in that first game at the NHSI, but he nearly threw a no-hitter. I think he's the guy that, that set the tone down there in that, that first game win. Jim, anything stand out to you from that interview? Well, I thought his scouting report on Matt Libertor was pretty good, too. Yeah. I mean, Jonathan and I right now are in the midst of, of, I think we've got most of our research done, maybe still a little remaining, but writing up a bunch of blurbs when we expand our draft prospect list from 100 to 200 for next week. And I don't know, I mean, maybe we should farm a couple of those out to Cole if, he, if he's got <laughs> some time, because I thought that was a pretty good breakdown of Libertor. He can, uh, I'll give Cole, you know, a dozen high school guys in my half of the country, and then he can he can knock those off for me. But no, no, no wait, wait. He's in California. He should take some of my guys. <laughs> yeah, but he's played against some of these guys. So, but you're right. It, it probably would help you more than more than me. But I, I just think what Jonathan said. I, I just think there's there's so much more going on for these guys today. Whether it's the Under Armour game, where I saw him last year, or the Perfect Game, All American Game, or Team USA, or the NHSI, or the Boris Classic. I mean. These guys get so much more media attention, and I don't know, I guess Jonathan and I are old, but back in the day it was kind of like the, the local paper, you know, might cover the high school team, and that was it, and it's it's just a lot different. I mean, even, you know, if you go to Jupiter, and I don't know off the top of my head if Cole, Cole Wynn was in Jupiter, you know, I mean, there, there's so much attention there, too. I mean, and these kids just seem so much more polished, I, I guess, from getting the repetitions, but no, I mean, he was 
very impressive when I saw him on the mound last July and, and you know, seemed very comfortable and, and good answers today. All right, before we move on to that mock draft conversation, we want to take a second to tell you about Yahoo Fantasy Baseball. Baseball season is in full swing, which means it's time to track your fantasy roster. Yahoo Fantasy Baseball has been rated number one by the Fantasy Sports Trade Association five years in a row, and one reason why is the Yahoo Fantasy app. The app will help you get the expert advice and analysis you need to make the right moves to be a big league-type GM and crush your league. The app allows you to trade and manage your team Right from your phone, sign up by downloading the Yahoo Fantasy app or going to yahoo.com backslash fantasy baseball. Yahoo Fantasy Baseball, the official fantasy game of Major League Baseball. And Jim, um, talking about your mock draft, I want to get into it a little bit. Um, at the top, no changes and no major drastic changes from from Jonathan's, although a lot of little differences along the way. But both of you uh, going with Casey Mize, who continues to seem like not a sure thing, but as close as you can get to a sure thing to be the Tigers pick at number one. Um, you had Joey Bart going number two. Jonathan had him at four. Um, then you have the Phillies taking Alec Baum at three. That was up a spot from Jonathan's as well. And then that meant Nick Madrigal and Brady Singer dropped down a little bit. As far as that top five goes, Jim, does it seem like beyond Mize it is very fluid? Yeah, and I think you hit the – I mean, look, there's still two weeks to go. I mean, Casey Mize – you know, I haven't checked all his starts. Might have, he's probably coming off his worst start of the year. Not that I think that really affects anything. And you know, things can change. But I do feel like you put it very well that Casey Mize, you know, as entrenched as you can be right now, he is. And I just don't think in this draft there's much consensus, you know, as to how the guys could line, should line up behind him. I mean, I think there's also some thought that the Giants could go with Brady Singer too. You know, as well as some other options. I don't think that one's anywhere near. Uh, as confident, uh, like I'll put it this way: if draft were today, I'd feel pretty good the Tigers were taking Casey Mize. I wouldn't feel nearly as confident the Giants were taking Joey Bart. And you, know, you talk about Alec Baum at, at number three for the Phillies, and you talk to some guys who, who think he can really hit, and it, it's really good raw power, and maybe he can stay at third base. And you talk to other guys, uh, you know, teams, and they feel like he's not a third baseman, and they wonder about the bat speed a little bit. Um, and they don't see the guy as a top-five pick overall either. And that's just kind of the way this draft is. Uh, I just don't feel like there's any consensus at all as to what order you should line guys up behind Casey Mize right now. You do both have Libertor going seven, and you both have Jared Kelnick going ten to the Pirates, obviously, and Travis Swaggerty going nine. So you do have some similarities there. Uh, Jonathan, as you get closer to putting up the next mock draft, it sounds like while Mize is – kind of overall the guy that people think is is the top guy at this point it's not quite a lock as far as the tigers go no no it's not a slam dunk and uh i think they're still sort of kicking the tires on uh, a number of players uh they certainly haven't made a decision uh i agree with jim we and jim said yeah mize was not good his last start <clears throat> i don't think that matters now if he if he's poor again this start now, again, two starts isn't going to you know, destroy a guy, but it, it certainly figures in, especially if you know it's not a, a slam dunk. It, you know, if Steven Strasburg pitched poorly his last two starts uh, when he was coming out of San Diego State, that wouldn't have mattered because he was so far and away the, the top pick in, in that draft. And this one, I think there's room for you know there to be a change. Now, I'm still fiddling with it, and I don't think 
I'm likely to to deviate from putting Mize one one. There's nothing that I've heard that said the Tigers are definitely off. But you know, the longer a guy is sort of penciled in at number one, the more nitpicking, uh, the more whispers you hear about this and that. Uh, I feel like that's been happening more and more the last few years when there hasn't been that surefire number one picks. But uh, uh, you know, I still think that he's very strongly in their mix. And based on the year he's had and everything we've heard, is still likely to be the top guy. Just not a you know put him in the ink uh, kind of kind of situation. The biggest change from Jonathan's mock draft, his first, to Jim, your first mock draft was Jonathan India because Jonathan had him down at number fourteen. Jim, you have him all the way up at six, I think, to the Mets. Um, is that a, a thing where he is still rising that high, or is that just a difference in opinion between the two of you? Well, I mean, I think it's also the time when you do these things. I right. mean, Jonathan, without you know trying to make change for change's sake, is going to have a bunch of things different when he does his this week yep. than I had last week. You know, I don't know if Jonathan could tell you what all those things would be if we you know, if we put him on the spot right now. It's I just, could not. You know, <laughs> things are things are constantly evolving. I guess is the best way to put it. And you know, I mean. You know, India, you know, we, we, and again, I don't know where Jonathan's going to put him yet. I mean, he may be number 11 on Jonathan's this week. But, I mean, Jonathan India is a guy who's having a great year in the SEC. Um, they do, you know, he'll be the player of the year. Mize will be the pitcher of the year. But, I mean, he's having an unbelievable year. He actually homered off Mize when Brady Singer and Mize squared off a few weeks ago. Um, you know, the, the, the one thing that's a little, I guess, tough to reconcile with Jonathan India, and maybe that's not the best way to put it, but, you know, nobody saw him as this kind of guy coming into the year. I mean, he was known in high school, you know, kind of a, a solid guy in high school who people thought would be a good college player at Florida. And he was part of a national championship team last year, although it was not a great year statistically. I mean, he was a key part of the team, but he didn't hit, you know, anything like he's hit this year um, where he's been spectacular and even more spectacular in conference play. And so I think the teams that really put a lot of weight in college performance are, are very intrigued with him. Um, I mean, he's putting up the best numbers and the best conference in college baseball. You know, from a tool standpoint, I don't. I mean, I don't know if he's got a true plus. I mean, you could certainly put plus on the bat when the guy's hitting 400 or so in the SEC, but it's probably more average power, and the rest of the stuff's pretty solid. Um, and so it's just kind of you know, eye the beholder type thing. You know, I think it's also. I mean, if if you told me he went number three, I could see it. And if you told me that he wound up going closer to where Jonathan had him when he did his mock two weeks ago at 14. I could see that, too. This, this draft is just that fluid. All right, that's a good look into the draft, and the mock drafts will continue to come out as we get closer and closer to the actual draft. And I think you guys put out those final thoughts on the draft in your little annual competition right up before the draft. So all things we will look forward to over the next uh Three weeks, basically, as we're getting closer and closer to it. All right, Jonathan, you've been on the move lately, hitting the minor league, um, I guess the Eastern League trail in recent weeks. You're in Manchester first and then Harrisburg as well. Let's talk about Manchester because you got down, you got to sit down with Vlad Guerrero Jr. and Bo Bichette with some videotape and actually go over some of their at-bats. And people can check out the videos uh, on MLB.com. They're also available on the MLB page on YouTube. Um, but... What kind of extra insight do you get from getting to sit down and really talk to these guys about how they approach an at-bat? Did, did things usually surprise you? You did it with pitching with, with um, Green, Hunter Green, obviously, now hitting. Did, did things jump out and surprise you a little bit when you get to talk to these guys? 
I don't want to, I don't want to necessarily say surprise. I mean, with Hunter Green, uh, just because of all the things we had done with him pre-draft, we knew that he was a pretty thoughtful guy. Um, I, I think it just gives you uh, insight that you wouldn't normally have into, especially you know the guys we've talked to have been exceedingly young, but how much they think about the game. Um, you know, I think hitting is different in that you have a certain game plan. Uh, when you're up there, it's not you know. I, I don't, you know, it's not the same thing. I think a pitcher on the mound is thinking about what he's going to throw with the next pitch and think like as Hunter Green told us, and uh, that's not necessarily the case with hitters. Um, you know, Bichette was very insightful about, you know, about his approach, what he tries to do. He's a guy who uh, kind of changes his mechanics a little bit with two strikes, um, tries to simplify it. Uh, you know, he has a leg kick normally, and then with two strikes, he gets rid of the leg kick. Uh, basically, kind of just puts his foot down where the leg kick would be, but it's mostly so he can keep his hands back and they're less moving parts. And he'll often let the trap ball travel deep and he'll flick the ball the other way. And in fact, the video that we looked at, he had a double down the right field line where he did exactly that on a two strike count. Uh, Vlad jr. Is, is I'm deciding just kind of a freak of nature. Um, just in terms of his innate bat to ball skills, um, you know, we gave him uh, the uh, now famous 80 hit tool, uh, and you just you, you never know until you start seeing him. And some of the things that he's able to do uh, are, are kind of ridiculous. And and he definitely knows what he wants to 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 do with the plate. You know, he like constantly is working off of a tee, hitting the ball to right center, and that's his general game plan. But I don't think, like when he gets up there. I mean, he doesn't swing at pitches out of the zone, but he, he's just kind of reacting and hitting. Uh, and, and you know, it, it, that's oversimplifying what his approach is. I just think that he he makes those decisions so quickly that it doesn't seem to him that he's thinking about it. Um, if that if that makes any sense. Yeah, certainly. And Jim Vlad Jr. got the uh, the baseball world excited a little bit on Twitter this week. He tweeted a picture of himself at JFK Airport in New York, and the Blue Jays happened to have been playing in New York at the time. And for about 20 minutes, I think, there was a lot of excitement that he was on his way to the big leagues, but I guess it was an old photo, and it was uh, quickly learned that he was not. That being said, when do you think the Blue Jays are going to pull that trigger? He's in double a right now, does he get a little taste of triple a or is he a guy that'll just come straight from double a to the majors in your mind? I mean, I think it just depends on what you want to do. I, I certainly don't think you have to go to triple a. I mean, plenty of guys have made the jump from double a, uh, he's very special. Uh, uh, you guys may know that I am higher on Vladimir Guerrero junior pride than, <laughs> or as high as you can be. I know a lot of people are high on him, but you know, I mean, you're t- you, I think you put him in the big leagues today, and I'm not saying he, you know, hit 400 like he is in the Eastern League, but I bet if you put him in the big leagues today, he'd be fine. I mean, I bet he hit 270 with, you know, a bunch of doubles and some home runs and, and be fine. Um, I think it's just a matter of what you want to do. I mean, the, the Jays are kind of in between right now. Uh, they're playing better this year, but they're still only 500. They've had some injuries. You know, are they buyers? Are they sellers? I mean, do you, if you become sellers, do you trade Josh Donaldson? At some point, maybe, um, you know, and it open up third base. You know, is Vlad even going to be a third baseman in the long run? I think that's up in the air. But 
I mean, I, you know, so I don't, I mean, the Blue Jays could go in a lot of different directions, but I think in terms of readiness, like, like Jonathan said, I, I think this guy just has an innate ability to put the bat on the ball and make hard contact, you know, go figure, you know, looking at who his dad is. Um, and, you know, it's, I feel like we say the same things about him a lot, but, I mean, he really is kind of reminiscent of his dad as a hitter, but with more or better plate discipline because he doesn't swing. You know, he'll, he'll take a walk where Vlad Sr. wouldn't necessarily do that. But, you know, I think if you want to put him up in the big leagues today, the, the Blue Jays could do that and, and it'd be a legitimate baseball move. I don't think they'll do that. I mean, there's no real reason to do that from a service time standpoint, a 40-man standpoint. But, uh, you know, the, the, the great players, I mean, we talked about this with Acuna, you could put whatever timetable you want on them and then they kind of rewrite it and, uh, I think Vladimir Guerrero Jr. will probably get his first big league at bat before he turns 20. All right, another guy that may be kind of rewriting those timetables uh, was your second stop, and that was in Harrisburg, Jonathan uh, Juan Soto. After I guess right after he had basically been promoted to Double A, um, his third level already this season. When you talk about a guy's moving quickly, he was uh, unanimous choice for the MLB Pipeline Podcast Single A player of the month for the first month of the season. Uh, the, did you present him with that, Jonathan? We're still waiting for the trophies I, I, I to come in on that, I think. I, I hope you, you dummied up an award and handed that to him. <laughs> I'd like to see photos. I ripped out a piece of notebook paper and scribbled it out for him. There you go. Um, I Some things stood out to me from that interview. One it was the fact, Jonathan, that um, here's a guy who's still trying to obviously pick up the English language, and he went ahead and, and did the interview with you in English. It shows me a lot when guys um, really want to do that and, and try to do that, and he did a nice job. Yeah, I mean, he insisted on doing it in English. Um, and there was someone there to uh, translate if needed, and he, he, didn't, he didn't ask for any help. And, yeah, uh, I mean, I, I think it... It shows you a little something about the maturity that he has, and, and that uh, would be all well and good if it didn't somehow translate to the game, but there's a reason why they felt comfortable promoting him so quickly. He's, he's long had a maturity with how he plays the game and how hard he works at it uh, that made them comfortable you know, moving him from low A, uh, you know, to high A within, I think it was 16 games, and then another 15, 16 games before double A. And, you know, what what he had said is that, you know, the, the quick move to uh, up a level to Potomac didn't surprise him because he had, want, you know, we had wanted to start the year in Potomac, understood why they sent it to Hagerstown. You know, he missed most of last year because of, of injuries, and, and they wanted to let him get a good foundation. So he knew he was going to go to Potomac, but – I got the sense that he thought he was going to be in Potomac at least for a little while. He had a goal to get to double A this year, uh, but, you know, thought maybe it would be in the second half, but his approach is so uh, ridiculous. Um, in his first game in double A and uh, Matt LaCroix, the former big leaguers, the Harrisburg manager was saying he, he was just amazed that he, he got a two, one change up, and and spit at it like it, it didn't swing it was just off the plate it was like a borderline pitch wasn't fooled let it go and then it had a 3-1 pitch to drive and he did you I mean he doubled and homered in his first game uh when it got to, to double a and uh and you know he's not just a guy who hits and doesn't care about the other parts of his game he's constantly working on his base running and his outfield play so i i I don't know that he's done moving. You know, this is like this year's Ronald Acuna in terms of how quickly uh, up 
the ladder, uh, he, he can move. And obviously he's moved up in the top 100 rankings, Jim, as well. But when you see a guy that started the season at low A and Jonathan's right maybe gets to triple A, then you're suddenly thinking, 2019, could this guy start the season in the majors or be in the similar situation as Acuna where you let him start and then he quickly comes up? I mean, he's on that kind of um, fast rise, right? Well, yeah, I'll even throw out, let's throw out 2018 for him, too. I mean, this guy is one of the best hitters in the minor leagues. I think the reason he didn't get more acclaim as such was was similar to Acuna. He was hurt in his full season debut and didn't get to play very much, or we might have been raving about him last year. But, you know, you look at the Nationals, a team that is, you know, in third place right now. You know, they're, they're all in for this year. And they've got, you know, Moises Sierra not doing a lot in the outfield and Michael Taylor not doing a lot in the outfield and Andrew Stevenson, who's defensive-minded, not hitting well. And, you know, Adam Eaton's on the DL and Brian Gouin's on the DL. We know Victor Robles is hurt. I mean, if he keeps hitting like he has been, you know, and let's say it's July and they still are, are having trouble getting outfield production from their, their guys not named Bryce Harper, I think you'd even consider calling him up. I mean, you know, this isn't Acuna. Where it's different than Acuna and the Braves is the Braves were bad last year, so there was just no reason to call him up. You know, it made no sense. But, you know, if Juan Soto continues to perform like he has, and like Jonathan said, it's not just, you know, he's hitting for average and power. I mean, he's really controlling the strike zone well, too. You know, if he's one of these guys who's like a hitting savant and it looks like he is, you know, he can hold his own. I mean, you know, Moises Sierra right now has a 420 ops, and Michael Taylor has a 564 ops. I feel like Juan Soto could do that for him, too. The Nationals are in a situation where there's a good chance, not a lock, but a good chance Bryce Harper is playing elsewhere next year. But it's certainly nice to know that you have guys like Victor Robles and Juan Soto on the way up on the pipeline. Uh, That is certainly good stuff and and good for that organization. All right, that'll do it for this edition of the Pipeline Podcast. We want to thank Cole Wynn again, Orange Lutheran Sr., getting ready for draft day and the California playoffs. Uh, For Jonathan Mayo and Jim Callis, I'm Tim McMaster. Thanks for tuning in.